seated. I invite you to turn in your Bibles in the Gospel of Mark to chapter 13. We're going through the, the Gospel of Mark. We have seen Jesus confront the temple authorities, and now we have Jesus teaching his disciples. Mark chapter 13, we'll, we'll look this morning at the whole chapter, but, but here at the beginning I'm just going to read verses 1 through 23. If you're looking to find this on the Bible that's there in the Purek, it's page 1006, Mark 13. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is, whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will, will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of, of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen... He has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we ask that that as we listen to the teaching of Jesus, that our hearts would be, would be turned toward the, the things of, of this world, to, turned toward the, the way in which Jesus has called us to live as disciples. Lord, I pray for those that listen to your word who, who aren't disciples, who don't follow Jesus, that, that these, these words would be warnings of judgment, that it would be a reminder of your grace and mercy. 
And Lord, that even as we listen to Your Word today, that You would transform hearts, bringing people to You by faith. Lord, let us see the glory of Jesus, our Savior. We come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes my kids get frustrated by my attempts to turn everything into a teachable moment. Now, this might be a problem for, for all kids, but, but perhaps it's especially true for preacher's kids because everything is, is an illustration of, of God's truth. And so driving past a, a cemetery becomes a lesson about stewardship, about what you take with you. Uh, an offbeat news story becomes a, a lesson about discipleship. This is what it would look like to follow Jesus. A movie plotline is not just a movie plotline. It's a glimpse of God's redemptive purposes. See, sometimes you're just pointing something out, and then it becomes this big lesson. Well, that's what happens here at the beginning of chapter 13. One of the, the disciples is with Jesus and just says, Hey, look. Look at this magnificent temple. I mean, it's the greatest building I've ever seen. And, and even if you, if you go and visit today, and, and some of the, the, the bottom stones of the, the foundation, they're massive. They're, they're school bus size, and they're, they're still there. And you think, wow. I mean, it's sort of the, just the, the tourist's awe of, look at this. And Jesus' response, look at verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. These buildings are about to be destroyed. God's judgment is coming. You can imagine the poor disciple thinking, I just thought it was a pretty building. And suddenly we're talking about the destruction of God's temple. We're talking about the, the cataclysmic end of the world judgment of God. And so as they leave the city and, and cross the, the Kidron Valley, and they're there on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, four of them, the four we know the best from this gospel, they're the first four we met at the very beginning of the gospel, the brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, come to Jesus and ask him, all right, tell us. Tell us when this is going to take place. When, what will be the, the sign that, that what you've told us about is, is coming true. And then Jesus responds, not, not so much giving them the answer to the when question that they wanted, but really telling them how they should live now. And this is the, the longest, this section of teaching here is the longest continuous section of teaching in Mark's entire gospel, which highlights its significance, its importance. It's here in the last week of Jesus' ministry that Jesus is going to talk about the coming judgment. We'll see God's judgment. We'll, we'll hear that answer to the question when as we consider God's timing. But I also want us to notice as we go through this passage, God's mercy. First, the, the whole chapter is, is about the judgment of God that is coming. Jesus speaks about wars and, and rumors of wars. He speaks about family betrayal, brothers turning against each other, fathers against their children. Jesus speaks, look at verse 14, about the coming judgment, the judgment that will come within a generation on the very city that they're looking down upon, the city of Jerusalem. Look at verse 14, Jesus says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, 
Would the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus speaks of the abomination that causes desolation. That's a, a phrase that's captured by, that, that's spoken by the prophet Daniel and, and captured in, in Jewish history as, as an expectation of, of the, the, the desecration of the temple. It happened in the time of the Maccabees, which is the time between when the, the prophets of the Old Testament last spoke and when Jesus is here. But it's also a reminder of the, the pattern of, of temple worship being interrupted by, by pagans, by those who, who don't truly worship God coming in, exalting themselves, setting up idols. Jesus is looking ahead. He's speaking in about the year 30. He's looking ahead to the year 70 just a generation to come, when the, the, the judgment he spoke about in verse 2, that, that not one of these buildings will be left standing, every, thro- every stone will be toppled down. He's talking about the judgment that will come upon the city when, when the Roman army marches in and destroys this city. Jesus is, is talking about the end of temple worship about God's judgment coming here. It's a clear prediction, a direct prophecy by Jesus about the judgment which will fall on Jerusalem. Now, think of the contrast to what we saw in verse 1. The, the disciple who's in awe of all of this. How beautiful, how, how, how everlasting this place looks. And, and even think about it. It's, it's not just the, the majesty of the buildings themselves. It's the promises of God's, to God's people. What is the temple? It is the place of God's presence with them. The temple is the place where they bring sacrifice. If the temple goes away, then do God's judgment, do God's promises fail? If there is no place to bring your sacrifice, then is there any way to be made right with God? But you see what what Jesus is saying. God's judgment is about to fall. The temple will be destroyed. It's the same thing we've, we've heard him say in, in previous weeks. When he, speaks of, when, he, when he himself went into the temple and, and cleared out the, the money changers, when he spoke about the destruction of the temple by cursing a fig tree, because Jesus says the time of the temple is coming to an end. There will be no more sacrifices made here. God's judgment is coming. But the disciples, they didn't ask, what what will this mean? What was the disciples' question? They asked, when will this happen? But you see, Jesus Jesus won't just jump right to that answer. He wants them to stop and think about, what does it mean? It means God's judgment is coming. Now, chapter 13 is addressed specifically to disciples, to those who follow after Jesus. But I think if, if, if you don't put yourself in that category yet, If you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you still need to hear these words because these are are words of warning and judgment. God's judgment has come upon Jerusalem. God's judgment comes upon the nations. If you continue in your path of sin, then God's judgment falls upon you. And while the disciples are focused on when this will happen, Jesus is focused on now. What does it mean for the disciples? He tells them. There, there, there's repetition in this passage about what, how the disciples are meant to respond. He tells them, be on your guard. He says that multiple times in this passage. Look at, look at verse 9. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. 
On account of me, Jesus says, you will, be, you will be beaten, you will be dragged before the courts. And what are you meant to do? You are meant to, to stand firm, we're told in verse 13. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus tells his disciples, and we'll see this when we read the end of the chapter, he tells them to, to be alert, to keep watch. See, they just want to know the timeline. And Jesus says, it's not so much exactly when it will happen that matters. It's how you should live now. Live as a disciple. Be alert. Stand firm. Be on your guard. Now, Jesus does, though, give them an answer to their when question. He, he tells them that, that some of this, some of that, what he's speaking about, is about to happen soon. It will happen within your lifetimes, within this generation. And we know that the destruction of the temple comes in the year 70 when, when the Roman armies come. Some of this prophecy is imminent. Look, let's continue to read in this chapter. Let, go, go with me to verse 24. When we have the, the quotation from the, the prophet Isaiah. We're in Mark 13, verse 24. But in those days following that distress... The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you, will, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See, Jesus is telling them when? It's now. Now is the day of judgment. Now is the, the, the coming of God's judgment on the earth. It will happen for, for this generation. Look at verse 30. That's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. This generation will, not cer will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, actually, it's hard, and, and commentators struggle with, with our verses 24 and following talking about the same time period. Are they talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, or are they, they talking about some future time period? And there's a sense in which, like Old Testament biblical prophecy, there, there, there are multiple reference that multiple time points that Jesus is talking about. It's, it's like looking at a, at a mountain range in the distance. It's hard to tell the, the mountains in the foreground from the mountains in the background when you look at them from a distance. But as you get close, you, you see they're separated in time. The horizon becomes clear. And so Jesus is saying, within your lifetime, right now, these events are going to take place. The judgment will fall upon the temple. Temple worship will end. And yet Jesus speaks about the, the coming judgment still. Even the language there in verse, verse 26, look again there, where he speaks about the Son of Man, even that language doesn't necessarily only refer to the second coming, but could refer to immediate events. Jesus says in verse 26, At that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, this language, again, from the prophet Daniel, is picked up in our, our hymnody, our, our creeds, speaking of the second coming of Christ, his, his ultimate return at the end of history. 
But remember, the, the language of, of the Son of Man in Daniel is not only tied to that moment. It's tied to the moment in which the disciples now stand. Jesus has again and again in Mark's gospel called himself the Son of Man. It's a language that, that doesn't merely describe the last action of Jesus, but it describes the present actions of Jesus. He is the Son of Man, the one whom Daniel declares to have all authority, absolute power in the universe. And even think of the, the language. In, in, in the, the, the gospel records in the book of Acts, the Son of Man, Jesus, is taken up. He ascends into heaven onto the clouds. And it's specifically tied that that, that moment of Jesus' ascension is, is the same thing as Jesus' return. And so Jesus isn't, he's not confused that, that there are only about 40 years left in the history of the universe, and he got it all wrong. No, there is coming immediate judgment right now, but there is a future judgment still to come, but the Son of Man is the one who has all authority and power in that whole time period. And, and it's important for us to, to recognize when we think about God's timing that this had to actually make sense to the disciples. See, sometimes we, we, we try and figure out, well, what does this mean for us today? But remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives the week of his death and resurrection. He wants them to understand what he's teaching, but, but Mark also wants us as the readers of the gospel to understand. Look, look back at verse 14. There was that little intrusion there. We, we spent our time looking at the abomination that causes desolation, but then there's an intrusion in that sentence. Jesus says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it not, does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. See, this is a warning to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. When this happens, you should be prepared. But Mark is also reminding us that Jesus spoke these words not merely for these four guys, but for everyone who reads this gospel. This is meant to be a warning. Jesus' words mean something to the disciples. They mean something to those who first read Mark's gospel, and they mean something to us. Jesus is warning us how we should live right now. And it's clear. Jesus then actually, he answers the 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 question for them about what it what, what about the actual timeline so they want to they want to know the timeline but Jesus Jesus makes clear that no one knows the timeline look look back at verse 32 let's let's finish the chapter here verse 32 no one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. See, sometimes when we read a, a passage like Mark 13 or some of the other passages that describe Jesus' return or describe future events, we view it like a puzzle. We're trying to, to figure out all the details. We're trying to, to see how the pieces interlock. We're, we're trying to match up the events here with events from world history or 
or more specifically, events of our own day and age. But Jesus is saying, you don't know, you cannot know, no one knows the exact timeline. So stop trying to figure out the timeline. Keep watch right now. See, and sometimes we get so caught up in those little details that we've missed the big picture. A, a focus on the details or this timeline and trying to connect this to the modern events is like, like knowing the details in a newspaper story but having skipped over the headline completely. So you miss the headline, Jesus will return, because you're looking at events of, well, what does this mean for geopolitical events in Russia today? No, that's not what the story is about. The story is about Jesus will return. It's, it's like listening to, to com a commentary in a sporting event. You, you know about the great catch. You can describe it in great details, but you have no idea who won the game. See, that little detail only matters in the light of who won the whole game. Jesus wins. It's like knowing the, the details for a history test. You can describe the troop movements in this battle, but then when it comes to your conclusion, you realize, I have no idea who won the battle. I have no idea who won the war. And, and your, your history professor, when he grades you, is going to say, I don't think you understand it. If you don't know the headline, if you're searching the deets, if you're, if you're lost in the details, then you can miss the headline. Because what does Jesus want us to do? He says it explicitly, be alert. Keep watch. You don't know the timeline, so live right now in the expectation of Jesus' immediate and imminent return. That's what he's telling you. I mean, think about it. The, the, the kid who's at home alone while his parents are out, the, 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 the kid who's doing what he's supposed to be doing, maybe studying, maybe just watching TV, he doesn't have to worry if his parents come home a few minutes early, right? Who needs to be worried? The kid who's got the giant party going. If his parents show up unexpectedly, he's in big trouble. And so Jesus says, do what you're supposed to do right now. Keep watch. I mean, that's the, the, the illustration he's using, right? It's, it's like a, a man who leaves his servants in charge. And so Jesus is telling us, pursue holiness right now. Judgment is coming. Live a life of obedience and discipleship in following after Jesus. Jesus has already told his, his disciples, you're going to be dragged into synagogues, but you have the privilege of preaching the gospel. And so what are you supposed to do right now? Preach the gospel. John Wesley, the, the great evangelist of the 18th century, he was asked, what would you do tomorrow if you knew that Jesus was going to return tomorrow night? What would you do tomorrow if you knew Jesus was about to return? Wesley pulled out his diary and he checked what was on his schedule for the next day. And he read off that list and he said, that's what I would do tomorrow if I knew Jesus was coming tomorrow. So because he was living a life of discipleship and evangelism and obedience, and he said, I would do what I'm doing right now because I'm ready for Jesus to return right now. And so it, it means living the ordinary life of a Christian in obedience, proclaiming the gospel. So God's timing is to remind us of the headlines. We can look away from the deals because we don't know when he's coming. 
but he's calling us to be ready to keep watch. Now, finally, I I do want us to to look back on this passage and see not only God's judgment and God's timing, but but God's mercy. And we'll we'll move more quickly here. Notice the, the promises that God makes to the disciples. Does he promise that there will be no persecution? No. He actually tells them, expect persecution. You are going to be dragged into the synagogues and flogged. But what does he say? I will be with you. This passage is an encouragement for the church to endure difficult times, to face persecution, knowing that God is with us. He he promises, look at verse 11, that when they're dragged, when they're arrested, when they're dragged before the courts, he says, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You see what God is saying? I will be with you in the midst of your suffering. And and that's there with that promise. Look at verse 10. This beautiful promise, the gospel must first be preached to the nations. You see what he's he's telling disciples? You You will face persecution, but you have the great joy, the privilege of taking this gospel to the nations. See, the temple's going to be knocked down, that, that symbol for Israel that they had in a, a special place because now the, the, the nations are going to be drawn to God through me, Jesus is telling him. And you have the joy, the privilege, the opportunity to preach the gospel to the nations. You see, he's telling them that, that this time of, of anticipation is not this passive waiting. It's, it's not a sit back and put your feet up. It's not even sort of the, the eagerness of, of having the, the bag near the door ready to run. At, at moment's notice? No, he says this is, this is a time of active involvement, of active proclamation, of, of active witness for the sake of the gospel. We also see glimpses of God's mercy in this passage. Even the judgments themselves, we're told in verse 20, will be cut short. For the sake of the elect, we're told, whom God has chosen, God shortens the judgments. We're told in verse 27 that, that that picture of Jesus in all his power and glory, the one enthroned on the clouds, the, the Son of Man, the Son of Man will send angels to gather his elect. From the very ends of the earth, from all the nations, God is drawing people to himself. In the midst of the coming judgment, God's mercy is on the move. But do you hear the, the good news? I mean, this is an encouragement to, to those of us that call ourselves Christians. That even facing the, 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 a world in which wars and rumors of wars will continue to fill our newspapers, we have the promise of a God who is with us. We have the joy of making the good news known. We have the privilege of seeing people from all nations put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't put your trust in him now, today is the day. Because we live in these end times. That time from the ascension of Jesus Till he comes again, it is the last days. Right now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Turn and put your trust in Jesus Christ. But here in this chapter, there is an even, an even bigger picture of God's mercy and judgment. Look back at, at verse 2. Jesus looks at the temple and he says, Not one stone here will be left on another. Every stone will be thrown down. 
See, Jesus is bringing a word of judgment on the temple. This is the very charge that will be brought against Jesus in his trial in just a couple of days. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 14, in verse 58, we find that, that Jesus has been dragged before the Sanhedrin, before the, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law. We're told in Mark 14, I'll read verse 57, that some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. Mark 14, 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Yet even their testimony did not agree. See, Jesus spoke a word of judgment against the temple, and that's why he's brought to trial. Because who has the authority to stand in judgment over the temple? Only God himself. Who has the authority to say that, that God's plans of sacrifice will come to an end? Only the true and final sacrifice. And so the high priest then responds. This is verse 60 of Mark 14. The high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now look with me at verse 62. As Jesus declares himself to be the promised Messiah, the promised Son of Man, look at verse 62. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need to have any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Do you see the, the promises of chapter 13 are fulfilled in chapter 14? Jesus is the one who brings judgment against God's temple. But it's not a, a political or religious judgment alone. It's, it's a spiritual judgment. Jesus himself offers himself as the, the true and final sacrifice. Jesus stands up and says, I am the Son of Man. I am the Messiah. I am the one with all authority and power and dominion. And how does he use it? He allows them to spit on him, to mock him, to beat him, and to nail him to a cross. Why? Because Jesus himself is willing to take the judgment that God brings against sin. And so this is our hope. The headlines are clear. The Son of Man gave His life. The Son of Man ascended into heaven. The Son of Man will come again. Jesus ends His teaching. He tells His disciples, What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Let me pray for us. 
Father in heaven, we do thank you that in a, a chapter in which judgment rolls over us like waves, that we have the words of mercy. We have the promise of Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus, your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we thank you that Jesus takes upon himself the judgment that we deserve. And so, Lord, as we pray, having heard your word, Lord, I pray for, for those right now that, that wonder if Jesus' words could be true. Lord, I pray that you would let them see the truth of Jesus' words, that his are words that will stand forever, that he is the one with all authority. Lord, let them hear in these words of judgment to, the, the, the condemnation of their own sin. And Lord, let them hear in the words of Jesus the sweet mercies of the Savior who would die in our place. Lord, for those of us who have put our trust in Christ, let us live today in anticipation of Jesus' return. Let us live declaring Him to be the true ascended King, the Son of Man with all authority. Lord, let us live lives of obedience following after Jesus. Lord, let us be a church. Let us be individuals who proclaim the gospel. Lord, this week, put in our paths people who need this gospel message, family members and friends and co-workers and classmates to whom we can, can announce this good news. Lord, make us bold in our witness for you, faithful in following you. Lord, let us heed the words of Jesus to be on our guard, to be alert, to keep watch. Lord, we await the return of our Savior, King Jesus, the Son of Man. Amen.